What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of The Bible Boys. My name is James. And I'm Pip, and super thrilled to be uh, having another week of getting into the Bible with you all and talking to you, James, and catching up. It's always a pleasure. That's right, that's right. Now, Pip, I just had a haircut, and um, I want to ask you, how, how have you been taking care of your hair in this time in lockdown? For me, uh, Viv's been very kindly cutting my hair. I've, I've enjoyed the experience, and uh, yeah, I mean, how's it look from Zoom, at least? It looks absolutely fantastic. Viv's done an amazing job. For those of you listening, uh, let me just describe it to you. She's done a perfect <laughs> job on the sides. Um, and the top, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fashionably long, but not too long that it looks ridiculous. And so, James, I want to commend you and Viv on uh, the job. Now, I did nothing. I did nothing. <laughs> I mean, you put your trust in her to do it, which is uh, an important step. Um, <laughs> but I haven't seen the back. Now, in one sense, it does, like in this lockdown age, it doesn't really matter what the back of your head looks like, is what I've discovered. So I actually do my own haircuts. I've, I've right. been doing my own haircuts since uh, for a couple of years now. And um, $20 clippers from Kmart have gone a long way and have saved me a bit of money. And um, yeah, I don't look... Abs- well, I think I don't look absolutely ridiculous, which is uh, the... Uh, you thing. look fresh. You look fresh. Your, your hair you. always looks good. You... you- <laughs> You Thank don't you, look too pretentious. Thank you, you look, yeah. That's that's what I go for. Not too pretentious. <laughs> a little, a little bit is okay. Um, <laughs> a little bit of pretense is better than speaking with no tenses at all, because that would be unintelligible. Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, so I I just vibe the back of my own head and I do it that way. So it's been you know it's been good. So there you go. Now, you had a week off last week from college, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yes. So, you're back this week. How's your first week back been? You know, life, college, all that stuff. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it feels kind of the same. It's not like we really went out heaps last week. The only difference was, you know, less, probably a bit less study last week and uh, last week and more going out for long walks. There was still a bit of study. But this week, getting back into it has been good. Um, yeah, getting towards the end of the um, semester, I guess, just like, um, yeah, wrap like kind of draw like tying up a lot of loose ends and thinking about exams and things like that and preparing for those sorts of things. So it's been mm. good. Yeah, nice, nice. And uh, on on the home front, you know, you and Surf tracking all right. You guys going all right? Yeah, no, we're going well. We're going well. Um, Soph had a second vaccination. Today, the Pfizer, second jab. So I think we're yeah. excited about where, you know, lights at the end of the tunnel, looking looking ahead to meeting up with people and, and going back to some kind of more normal version of life. But, no, you know, to be honest, we've enjoyed lockdown. Like, we're homebodies and we enjoy the our creature comforts and Netflix and um, chilling out. So it's good. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. What about you and Viv? You guys have been going well and... Um, just in terms of life and work as well, is it all going okay? Yeah, yeah, we're doing well, thank you. Yeah, Viv was telling me about um, her, her doctrine lecture this morning on uh, scripture that you, you, you folks had. Um, you know, she's continuing to study and, and work in lockdown. I'm really tired, to be honest. I, I'm feeling pretty fatigued. Uh, just a lot of things happening in the life of church, but also feeling like I'm running at half speed. So I'm quite tired, to be honest. Um, enjoying the bits of rest that I get to have with Viv. Um, but you know what? You know how uh, I think it was last week or the week before I told you I was playing Hearthstone, the game. Yeah. I, I've I've put that, well, most of it down now. There's a main game and there's a side mode. I'm only playing the side mode because I realized that it was moving from being refreshing to being a bit of a chore. Right. And as soon as that starts happening with something... You know, you know you're in trouble. Uh, it was a, a mutual friend of ours who we won't name on the on the podcast here, but on Insta Stories two weeks ago, I saw that he deleted Strava from his phone oh, yeah. because because it was no longer it was turning running into into something that was more competitive than restful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I that that's how I felt with uh, the main mode of Hearthstone. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's good. I, yeah, I, I feel like when I'm yelling at the TV, that's when I know that it's it's moved into it's not relaxing anymore. <laughs> so um, that's it. no, it's good. Yeah. That's good self awareness. And I think, and I know who you're talking about, who deleted Strava. I think that's um, 
you know, deleting stuff like Instagram and Facebook and actually making the conscious decision to delete stuff um, has been this, like, I think this positive um, self-awareness movement over the past kind of five, ten years. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard, though. It's hard, though, because, you know, you delete something and then, you know, you're like, but it did, you know, <laughs> there were pros and cons to it. Yes. Yes. Do you have an example of an app or, or maybe a program or something that you're watching or using that you just went, you know what, for, for my spiritual health or my physical well-being, I'm, I'm just going to delete this or I'm going to remove um, the frequency of which I'm, I'm using it? Yeah, I think definitely um, like with TikTok. So I, you know, have a TikTok account, but I've just decided there's a lot of stuff on there that's just unhelpful. Mm. Um, and so I've just decided... I'm I'm only going to go onto it if I want to like post something on behalf of the Bible Boys, which I've kind of stopped doing on TikTok because I, you know, um, and so it used to be the case that I'd only go on to post something and then I wouldn't scroll. I'd just post and then go. Mm. Um, and yeah, I treat Instagram like kind of similarly. Um, yeah, I try to avoid scrolling around too much. And um, but yeah, I haven't. I don't think I've ever deleted anything. Um, because of that reason, I probably should in, in, on reflection, but, um, yeah, no, no, Mm. but you've, you've, you've kind of done a bit of digital detox, but probably more for like, just like financials, you know, saving some money with the streaming services. Is that right? That's one example. Yeah. So just trying to go with one streaming service a month. There's no reason to have more than that. There's only so much you can watch. Mm. Um, so that that's one thing, yeah. So deleting Hearthstone off off it was just the latest example of my uh, phone and my iPad. Um, I just found myself, you know, if I had a spare moment, I might get a game in here or there. But just going, you know what? Um, this is probably not the best thing for me. I'll delete it. Um, another example of an app uh, was was Facebook a few years ago, but I'm much more in control of my Facebook usage now. Um, so yeah, I mean just. The concept of, you know, you you are in control. You don't want your devices or your apps or your media, whatever, to be in control of you. Mm. That's it. It's a very... Yeah. T- it's It seems oddly non-spiritual, doesn't it? Um, but it yeah. is a way of taking control, of, of enacting self-control. Yeah, but it, but in a sense, it is is a real uh, spiritual move to say, I actually want to... Um, I mean, the verse that comes to mind, I actually don't know the verse reference, but it's like, be sober, sober-minded. Mm. Um, the idea of being aware and alert and sober-minded um, is quite prevalent in the New Testament. And mm. so I think one one of the things, you know, if you... I mean, one thing I have done is I've turned off email notifications on my phone. Um, and if if anyone likes something or comments or does anything on social media, I don't get a notification. Mm. So I limit my notifications, which means I'm not looking at my phone all the time. The only yeah, thing I've yeah. left on is like instant messaging things where there's actually like a social expectation. So like text messages I've left on, um, yeah, and maybe like Telegram or WhatsApp messages I've left on because there is kind of a social uh, expectation to reply fairly quickly. Um, mm. Yeah, so being alert and just and if you're working and you're trying to be productive or you're reading and you're trying to focus or praying or something like that and you get a thing on your phone that can be very disruptive. Mm. So There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, in a bit, we'll talk a bit more about this because today's spotlight are going to be five practical tips on resting drawn from the Bible. Okay, Five great. practical tips on resting drawn from the Bible. But I wanted to throw a business idea your way that I found on Instagram, uh, I think the day before yesterday. And so you're all about, you know, fun um, uh, business ideas uh, app ideas, yes. So I want to I want to let you know uh, this one that I heard and see what you think. So okay. it's the concept of um, a restaurant where you pay for the food based on how long you're willing to wait for the food. So mm. if you pay premium price, you get it in you know two minutes or less. But if you're willing to wait, you know, ten minutes. You know, it's a bit cheaper. If you're willing to pay 20 minutes, it's a bit cheaper. Mm. So it, it scales based on your willingness to wait. Another way you can think about it is how hungry you are, right? Because if you're super hungry, you want it there and then, mm. it would be more expensive. What do you think about that? 
I think that's a that's an interesting idea. I think it's um, uh, I think Domino's have tried this. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so there was a season where Domino's you were able to pay a little bit more uh, to get it delivered within something like. Uh, 20 minutes. It's like a 20 minute. Delivery. Oh yes, I do remember this. Yeah. I do remember this. And yes. the thing, and the flip side was, if they fail, so you pay a little bit more. But if they fail to do it within 20 minutes, you get it all for free. Yes. And so I think it was like really on them to get that done, and they got they got the financial benefit from getting it done. Um, more like yes, I, I guess like implementing more tiers and stuff like that. I think your your rates get very kind of complex at that point. Um, I think, I don't know, people want a pretty smooth shopping, online shopping experience and like stuff like that when it comes to food. It's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. There you um, go. Yeah. Yes. So it has some merit to it, you'd say. It has some merit, I'd say. <laughs> yes. Which, like any, you know, any good business idea uh, will have some merit and you don't, yes. and you don't know whether it's going to be successful or not until you do it. There you go. Um, that's my analysis. That's my Shark Tank response. <laughs> You're much nicer than those uh, business moguls on on Shark Tank. What's your What's your valuation of this idea, James? In dollar terms, uh, I think that it has some merit, um, but I think that it would require. See, at what point do you say, okay? Um, well, why is it that? Well, how, how do you ensure that if you get it as quick as possible, that the, the quality of the food is maintained, right? So there are some foods that I think you could get straight away pretty quickly. Not that big of an issue. But let's say you're at a restaurant, okay? So let's not think about fast food anymore. Let's think about a restaurant. Mm. Um, if I want, you know, a full course meal uh, relatively quickly, um, that doesn't mean that it's going to be cooked right. What if the meat isn't done well? What if, you know, you know what I mean? So mm. I think you're trading something there. I want it to be done, you know? Mm. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in it's ready when it's ready. Mm. Um, it's not just about instant gratification. So, you know, when there's a movie that's going to come out and it gets delayed because they need to do reshoots, I'm not upset because I would rather they do the reshoots and do it right mm. than release it in a you know not so good format that's sort of where i'm yeah. at yeah. yeah so same same with food i'd rather it was cooked right cooked well rather than just rushed i think that's that makes a lot of sense there's a lot of logic there there's a lot of logic now <laughs> i i uh there's something in me that that can't let this discussion about business ideas go by without uh adding in a business idea of my own okay um, let's do so it are you ready for this idea i'm ready the idea is um experts on tap Right, and okay. the idea is, um, it's an app where um, experts you book in like a quick session with an expert, and it's very flexible. So experts are waiting on their phone, yes. and you have things like plumbers or chefs or things that you need to do at home, and you FaceTime them and you pay for a one-on-one -on -one consultation as you're doing the thing that they're an expert at. Right, right. So it's like, okay, I, I really want to make this uh, thing that I saw this person do, that I saw Gordon Ramsay do on YouTube. Gordon Ramsay's on the service. He charges $200 every 10 minutes, but it only takes 10 minutes. So I'm going to have this $200 conversation with Gordon Ramsay for 10 minutes. I pay beforehand to set it up. He's on, and then I'm talking to Gordon Ramsay. I pay him $200 to talk to him for 10 minutes. I cooked this scrambled egg and it's like you've never seen before. <laughs> or, and you know, you can call plumbers, you can do anything that you need to do around the house yes. that you'd usually get an expert in to do, but you think, okay, I probably have the parts and the tools and stuff to do it. Why not just get someone on my phone to walk me through it myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the idea. Experts think, on tap. I think it'd need to be pretty niche because... That sort of thing exists already, and it's called YouTube, right? Where so many things you want to learn about, you can get yes, it on YouTube. That's true. But what you don't get is the personal touch and them talking you through it. And, uh, you know, you, you don't get to be able to say to your friends, yeah, I, I you know, paid Gordon Ramsay to talk me through this thing or, <laughs> you know. Um, and also, yeah, and, and if there's tricky problems, like you've got a particular faucet mm. or something that needs fixing or a few issues in the way, stuff like that. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, that's the business side. Someone out there who's listening, who's got dev skills and uh, money and uh, the will 
to do it, go for it. Anyway, um, that's it. That's James. It. I, I do. I want to hear your your tips on rest. Yes, thank you. So today's spotlight is a five practical tips on rest or practical insights on rest that we can get from the Bible. And so this isn't going to be a deep dive into rest. There's a lot more that we could say. There's a lot more that these passages say, but I want to give you five things that the Bible would have to say about rest that you can take with you that might help you this week. All right, so let's take a look at them. So the first one is... uh Uh, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, to chapter 2, verse 3. And so, uh, in this passage, this is at the start of, you know, the Bible, God makes, uh, he does his work of creating over six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So, let me read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, An insight here is that God rests from his work of creating on the seventh day, but it doesn't mean that God stops being active at all. In fact, Hebrews tells us that the seventh day continues. God's rest uh, from creating has never ceased, in fact. Um, However, God has been working since creation. He's been uh, sustaining people's lives. He's been working in and through people. Uh, God continues to work even though his rest from creating has never ceased. And so here's insight number one about rest. Rest is always rest from some form of work. Rest is always rest from some form of work. You can't rest from nothing, right? Um, You're always resting from something. Now, let me just give an example of why this is really helpful. Uh, If you're resting from your paid work, for example, um, it would be a mistake to think, well, I'm resting right now from my paid work. Nobody can, nobody can interrupt me. You know, I'm not going to do anything else around the home. I'm not going to clean the toilets. I'm not going to love my spouse. I'm not going to clean the dishes. You know, I'm resting right now. Well, you're resting from your paid work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're, you're not doing anything. Rest is always rest from something. That's the first insight. Um, Maybe I'll just run through all five and then I'll ask you, Pip, what you think about these Mm, things. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Great. So insight number one, rest is always rest from some kind of work. All right. The second one and the third one, I'm going to draw from a a passage in Exodus about the Sabbath. So in Exodus chapter 23, uh, verses 10 to 12, we get this principle of the Sabbath, uh, working for six, resting for one. And so uh, one of the things that we see here is that God desires uh, for his people um, to, to you know, work for six days and then rest on one or uh, sow in the fields for six years. And then on the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. And uh, he says that this is important in Exodus 23 uh, verse 12, um, so that your ox and your donkey may rest so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. So what do we get from this principle here? So I've got two insights on rest from this passage. The first one is this. Productivity is not a spiritual virtue. Productivity is not a spiritual virtue. Now, how do I get that from this? Well, you know, compared to the surrounding nations, Israel would have looked remarkably unproductive especially from an agrarian society where they required and relied on the land to, to provide sustenance for them. But there was an, an immense trust that the people needed to have that on that sixth day or in that sixth year, they would have had an abundance of supply that would last them not just for the next day, but until they could then re-sow and re-reap uh, the, the, the fruits from their fields. You think about it for a second, right? Um, if you're not sowing in the seventh year, in the eighth year, you also don't have a lot to, to, to sow and, and um, sorry, to reap back, right? The point is that they would have enough. They would have enough. And so um, this incredible insight that speaks very much against our modern culture, that productivity is not a spiritual virtue. Productivity can be a good thing, but it's not the highest good. It is not the most important thing. Um, The third insight I want to get from this here is that uh, God wants his people to rest. Rest is a gift of God for his people because he wants them to rest. He wants them to be refreshed. 
And this is an immense, uh, immensely practical thing to realize because, you know, you could be thinking, oh, you know, I feel lazy right now because I'm not doing anything. Or I feel lazy right now. I feel like God is unpleased with me because I'm not, um, you know, doing this or doing that. Or God desires for you to be refreshed. God desires for you um, to, to rest. And so uh, that as well can push against the mindset that says we always need to be doing something. I know this has been very personally impactful for me. So we've seen three things so far. Number one, rest is always rest from some form of work. Number two, productivity is not a spiritual virtue. And number three, God wants us to rest. Fourth insight, uh, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 12. And here, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Matthew chapter 12 is uh, a section. It's the only section in Matthew's gospel where Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees uh, on a Sabbath day. Um, Oh, excuse me, about the Sabbath itself. So, you know, some of the other gospels, um, actually all of them, Mark, Luke, John, they have several Sabbath day incidents. In Matthew's gospel, it's just here in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus is criticized by the Pharisees for um, letting or commending his disciples for picking heads of grain and eating them. Uh, and also he's criticized for healing a man's um, a shriveled hand. And so let me just read a section here from Matthew chapter 12. He says, um, if any of you has a sheep, this is from verse 11, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Jesus here is showing us a very important principle, which is that the Sabbath was made for man to rest. The Sabbath was a provision so that humans could be refreshed, God's people could be refreshed. And yet, you never take a rest from doing good. You never take a rest from doing good. Um, I think that's a really, really important thing. Now, there may be forms of good that we take a rest from, right? So uh, an example is you could have, uh, you, you might drive your, your mum or your dad to, to the train station every morning so that they can get to work. But maybe on one of those weeks you go to your brother or your sister, hey, could you drive mum or dad this week just so I can take a break this week? You know, very simple example of taking a rest from doing a form of good. But the category of good, the category of loving and serving others we never take a rest from that uh, because uh, that is part of what God has called us to do as his people. And so on your rest days, this can help temper your expectations. If you're called to love someone and serve someone, instead of seeing it as an annoyance, just see it as another part of what it means to give yourself sacrificially uh, to, to serve others. Four things we've seen. Rest is always rest from some form of work. Productivity is not a spiritual virtue. God wants us to rest. It's a gift. And fourthly here, we never take a rest from doing good. Last insight comes from Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since the, promised, uh, uh, the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, even though you've come to the Lord Jesus, the one who says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The writer of Hebrews is saying that there is a final, eternal, ultimate rest still to come that we haven't entered into yet. And so here is the fifth insight. Have a now but not yet attitude to rest. Have a now but not yet attitude to rest. Rest is good right now. There are forms of refreshment that we can have and we should have. God wants us to rest. God wants us to be refreshed. But remember that the ultimate rest, the ultimate ceasing from pain and suffering and hardship and, and all the things that can get us down in this world, that is yet to come and we won't have it yet. And so that can help us not be too discouraged, right? Uh, not be too disappointed by how you know, maybe a day off or an annual week off or whatever it may be, uh, may not be the most, you, you might not feel like everything is solved, um, but you can still appreciate what you have now and look forward to that final day of rest. Five things. Rest is always rest from some form of work. Productivity is not a spiritual virtue. 
God wants us to rest. We never take a rest from doing good. Have a now but not yet attitude to rest. There you go. Awesome. They're great. They're great. They're five great tips on um, how Christians can think about rest um, in a way that actually lines up with the Bible. Um, Just just to engage with it a bit. um, Yeah, please. Please. I feel like the most controversial of any of the points is point two. (laughs) And um, so I just want to flesh this out a little bit. Yeah, please, let's do it. Let's do it. So productivity is not a spiritual virtue. Um, And yet, so I think, you know, a counterpoint to make would be the Bible says for six days you shall work, right? So there's got to be a reason for that, right? Um, in, in In the garden of Eden, we have work going on, um, yes. you know, uh, and in, in places like Thessalonians, I can't remember whether it's one or two, um, where it talks about, you know, uh, work with your hands so that you might have something to give to those in need, you know, mm-hmm. yep. don't steal any longer, but produce something valuable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, there's some, so, so. Uh, is would you say that's hard and fast that productivity is not a spiritual virtue and Jesus talks a lot about fruit which is a produce you know uh, it's something that you know so um, yeah how would you engage with with that <laughs> so I, I fully agree with with what the the point you're trying to make which is that uh, don't uh, isn't you know doing good work ha- having some output having something to to share with others isn't that important fruitfulness isn't that important yes and amen. Uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And so, yeah, that's really important. I guess it's deliberately phrased to be provocative. I mean, if I if I needed to nuance it, I could say, productivity isn't the highest good, mm. or isn't the most important thing. Um, I think that working diligently is a spiritual virtue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, applying yourself, uh, serving our earthly masters as if we're serving the Lord Jesus himself. That is what we're called to do. But if productivity in its absolute sense of output was the most important thing, then rest would be uh, an issue. And that's also, and some people can then envision rest in this way, which is, well, you know, if you don't rest, your output will be reduced. And that's why rest is good. Mm. But I just don't think that that, I mean, and that's true. I think that's true. Um, but the point of resting perhaps shouldn't just be so that you can think about how you can keep being, you know, keep working as well. Rest mm. itself gives us an opportunity to appreciate uh, what we have, what we have done, uh, to remember God, there's there's so much about rest in the Bible, about remembering God, being still and knowing he is the Lord. Um, that doesn't make sense if productivity is the highest good. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. Um, another, just another thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, another question to add into this mix is, um, it through the, like your tone seems to be talking to someone who um, has... Who, who needs rest, who maybe someone who, you know, did a poll during the week on, on Instagram. The question was, do, do you think you work too hard or not hard enough? Mm. And it was really 50-50. Like, I think, like, basically 50% of people say they work too hard, 50% say, actually, I'm kind of lazy, I don't work hard enough. Um, you know, if you're talking to people who would say, I'm actually, you know, when I really think about it, I'm quite lazy and I probably should be doing more work than I'm currently doing, um, to them, would you like qualify anything you've said around rest? I, I guess, in a sense, it's all like it's all still true. Um, but when it comes to rest, isn't there like a word that you need to speak about laziness as well to people who think they're lazy? And I know, like, it's five tips, so you can't <laughs> obviously cover everything. And that's a ma- that's a big question: the difference between rest and laziness. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's where point one and point four come in. So the first one saying rest is always rest from some form of work. It doesn't mean you're not doing anything. And so that can speak to the lazy person who says, you know, it's my day off or I, I just don't want to do anything right now. But you always got to rest from something. So maybe if I can put it provocatively for this hypothetical person, if someone doesn't do anything useful, 
and they say they're resting. No, you're not, because you don't ever do any work. If you never do any work, then you have nothing to rest from.、Mm. You know, and、yep. so th- perhaps this speaks to the the two Thessalonians three passage that、um, is is so helpful here. Two Thessalonians three verse ten says, "For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule." The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Mm, mm. It's a rebuke to the one who never wants to do anything useful with their hands. And so, it's important to say here that the one who, the work in the Bible is more than just what you're paid for.、Mm. So I speak of paid work、uh, as your job,、uh, but there's also work that we do all the time with our hands and our words、um, that isn't paid for.、Um, but the point is that. Rest is always rest from some kind of work. It doesn't mean complete inactivity.、Um, mm. And then the fourth thing there about we never take a rest from doing good. So the lazy person who you know、uh, perhaps goes, yeah, I just want to focus on me right now. Don't don't bother me with you know、uh, wanting to love others. You know, such a chore, such a you know、uh, an annoyance. That's the wrong mindset to have、uh, for a follower of Jesus. And I think it's important to say that all of these things are from the Bible.、Um, Perhaps people who don't follow Jesus, they have no reason to think that these things apply to them. Why should they、mm. listen to what、mm. the Bible is saying about rest here? Yeah, that's really helpful. That's helpful just to yeah think about how the Bible. Yes, it does talk a lot about rest and、um, positively, but laziness is not a virtue either. And like laziness is not a virtue, and so it's important to get that distinction.、Um, yeah. One more one more question from me:、um, two day weekend. One day too long. <laughs> It's a good and I, question. And, and what I'm asking, obviously, is you know the Bible says six days work, one day rest, and yet、um, we have two days weekend.、Um, what's the deal?、Uh, <laughs> what's know, the deal、uh, with that? Uh, <laughs> is two day is a two day weekend too、uh, luxurious for Christians to enjoy?、Um, <laughs> should we? You know, buck against that, or should we enjoy it because it's a gift from the government and probably Henry Ford and、uh, <laughs> Jews and Christians combined and all those historical trends that got us to a two-day weekend. But yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a few things to say here. One is that I didn't say anything in my tips, but it's important to say that Christians aren't obligated to keep the the Sabbath anymore.、Mm. The Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant through Moses. And、uh, Jesus has, who's the Lord of the Sabbath, has fulfilled、um, the Old Testament law. And so, in terms of a strict adherence to Sabbath, which was Saturday as a day off, we don't need to to follow that anymore.、Um, I think that the two day weekend. It's important to see a few things. One is that it's a two day weekend from paid work. Typically, Monday to Friday is seen as the paid work days.、Um, but for the Christian,、um, you're always working. So even on our, you know, uh, uh, let's say let's say Sunday, right?、Mm. We're doing the works of service, loving one another, serving one another,、um, speaking the truth and love to each other. We're still working on on the Lord's day.、Um, that's a form of work. It's not paid work,、mm. um, but still a form of work.、Um, and so you know, two day weekend, I think it's it's fine the way it is. Some countries have been trialing three day weekends, and they've seen that their output. And productivity of the、uh, employees has increased, and so th- for for、uh, you know the good of society, maybe、mm. maybe we should go to a four day working week and a three day weekend. Well,、um, if I mean if that trend is anything to go by, why not a four day weekend? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe at I mean, some I, point I, the I'm scales will、no, be、uh, statistician, <laughs> but、uh, it seems a pretty easy answer to me. <laughs> You know what? Why not a six-day weekend, my friend? Hold the phone. I didn't even think of that. Six-day weekend. <laughs> yes, but、um, you know, for the Christian,、uh, we are always working anyway.、Um, mm. But we do take rest from some forms of work for sure.、Mm. That's、so、very helpful. It doesn't helpful. matter、That's、if it's a two-day weekend. Yeah, that's good. I'm that's glad good. you found it helpful. Yeah, thanks, James, and thanks for preparing those tips and giving them thought.、Um, that's excellent. What have you been reading in the Bible this week, Pip?、Um, I'm still in Numbers. I'm about to、um, finish Numbers and move on to Deuteronomy.、Um, but I wanted to share something from Numbers.、Uh, from Numbers chapter twelve,、um, very interesting. Numbers chapter twelve, 
Um, you get this statement about Moses in verse 3. It says, uh, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's a pretty big statement. Moses is more, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. Um, now, that's a pretty incredible statement. But it's even more incredible when you think about um, how uh, Moses interacts with God. Because um, often I think we, we think about humility, and I think other versions say meekness as well. So we think about these things as um, kind of like... Um, we think of meekness in the same way often that we think about weakness. But the Bible is pretty emphatic that meekness is not a weakness. Uh, meek is not weak. Um, and humility is not thinking, to use C.S. Lewis line, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You know, that's C.S. Lewis line. But yeah, it's interesting in light of um, what Moses goes on to say. So, Basically, in chapter 12 you have this, uh, of Numbers, you have this situation where Miriam and Aaron uh, go and they, they talk against Moses because they've got an issue with Moses. And uh, they ask this question in verse 2. They say, does God only speak through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Okay, so they're a bit jealous of Moses' place within Israel as Israel's uh, human leader at this point. And so Miriam and Aaron say this. And essentially God... Uh, rebukes them and says, no, Moses is my servant. I speak to him. I speak uh, to him clearly. He is my chosen servant at this time. Um, Verse 9, it says, the anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And actually Miriam um, develops this kind of uh, skin disease. And you read in verse 13, Moses cried out to the Lord. And this is what it says. This is the NIV, right? It says, Moses says, Please, God, heal her. And he shouts, please, God, heal her. And then throughout Numbers and and a couple of chapters later, you really get Moses actually um, talking to God and saying, God, according to your character, according to your promises, you ought to do this. So please do this. And so when Moses comes to God, he actually comes uh, with confidence and boldness and um, it's not our typical picture of humility. He comes to, to God um, boldly and confidently. And so Moses was the most humble person on all the earth, and yet he was quite bold and confident and strong and fearless um, in, in talking to God. Um, and so I think maybe this was something that this shows about humility is that um, humility is uh, using your power in a way that actually is loving, directed to loving God and loving others. Um, yeah, and it's like, yeah. So it's actually um, being able to control the power that you have, the you know, the authority that you have, and being willing to um, lower yourself as well. Um, so, yeah, being able to, even though you might be higher than someone in terms of a hierarchy or in terms of your, your station in life, willingly using that power to lower yourself beneath someone else mm. and exalting them up. And obviously there's no better picture that, for that than Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the very nature of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, came to earth in the form of a man, took the, uh, you know, took the role of a servant, to the point of being crucified for our sin. Um, mm. And so if Jesus is the most humble man there ever was, and that's what, um, and the most powerful person there ever was, that teaches us a lot about the nature of humility. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been reading and that's what I've been thinking. Ah, thank you. That's really helpful. Yeah. Just, um, just a few hours ago, I was listening to a talk on, um, it was actually on preaching, but it was talking about humility uh, in preaching. And there was a definition of preaching that was put forward. Uh, pr- um, sorry, a definition of humility that was put forward. Humility is not counting anyone beneath your service, mm. regardless of who they are. Mm. Um, and they were drawing from Philippians too. So, you know, even though Jesus was higher than all of us um, and was equal 
to God, he still serves. Mm. And that is a picture of humility, um, which I, I've never heard that way of putting it before. I, mm. I quite like that. Just yeah. a thought about the, the humble man thing. Um, I, oh, I, I read a tweet or something about this a few months ago that linked it to John's gospel, but I don't remember what it said about Moses. So I'll share the insight about John, um, but because it just jogged my memory about this. Mm. The tweet was saying, you know, some people look at John's gospel and how in John's gospel, there's the disciple who Jesus loved, right? Mm. And people go, oh, that must be, that That's can seem like quite a prideful thing to say, or what, you know, Jesus loved you and not everyone else. Um, but in its context, it could probably re- be read as a as a hu- as a sign of humility that um, I am so unworthy to even let my name be known. Who am I? The only thing you need to know about me is that Jesus loves me. Um, and so we can read it in our modern lenses as you know someone trying to talk themselves up. But the fact that the writer, um, who might be John, um, doesn't you know, explicitly name themselves, but just says, I'm the disciple that, or, you know, the disciple who Jesus loved. Mm. It's probably more of a sign of humility. And then they linked it somehow to, to Moses here, but I forgot what they said about numbers. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because when you read that, the disciple whom Jesus loved, you think the one that he really loved more than everyone yeah, yeah, else yeah. because he's great. That's yeah, that's right. But that's yeah, right. yeah, that's, that's anyway. a great insight. Good insight. Mm. And what have you been reading um, just in your kind of daily reading or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just about done with John and I'm going to move on to another book. But I just wanted to make a, a quick point here, which is that in John chapter 20, uh, verse 28, uh, so this is the section when Jesus appears to his disciples and then he appears to Thomas. And then um, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And I think I've mentioned this before in the Bible, boys, but just reminding being reminded that there are parts in the bible that explicitly call jesus god or where jesus is referred to as god um you know apart from all the uh other ones where you can draw conclusions together you know titles of jesus jesus being um referred to as the fulfillment of the old testament verses that apply to lord you know the the god's name um there are places that explicitly call him God. And so um, let me just point out three of them. Um, John 20, 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, right? Um, another one is Titus chapter 2, which I think I might have even shared a few weeks ago when I was reading Titus. Um, oh. Sometimes hard to get to the, the smaller books because the mm. pages are so close together. <laughs> um, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. And then there's 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the third one I want to point out. 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Mm. Um, so those are just three examples where Jesus is explicitly referred to as God. I've got another five more, but that's all I wanted to share today. Yeah, Jesus awesome. is explicitly referred to as God. Yeah, yeah, nice. And obviously that's, you know, Jesus' divinity has been a contentious issue in history and even today in in a lot of sects of Christianity and uh, different parts and other religions and Islam and things like that, Jesus' divinity is, is hotly um, contested. And so um, yeah. it's helpful It's helpful to have those references in mind and think and to know, yeah, a plain reading of those texts will, will lead you to the conclusion Jesus is God. Yeah, it's helpful. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I think it's undeniable um, to, to, to read the New Testament and come to that conclusion. Um, but there are lots of... I think I, I, yeah, I've shared this before in the Bible Boys. There, there are lots of different translations that can try and obscure this. And so, you know, uh, two years ago when I started meeting up with my friend Joshua, who was raised Jehovah's Witness, and uh, we would read the Bible together, and I used the New World Translation. So I, I didn't use NIV or any, you know, uh, I used their translation. And there were verses I'd go to that would, it, I'd go, 
there is no other translation I can find that translates it this way. Mm. <laughs> and it was hard to it was hard to work it out. But over time I, I found out that even though the verse some of the verses were changed. So these verses that I just pointed out, they were changed in the New World translation. Mm. But the the Old Testament references, those were undeniable. They can't change that. Mm. Um because you just go back to the Old Testament reference and you go, who's being referenced here? You go back to the New Testament, who's being referenced here? Do you see it's Jesus? And mm. you can't, just changing a word can't change that. So that yeah. was an insight that I found so fascinating that even though they try to change the translations, uh, the English translation, they can't get rid of those references. That's helpful. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Excellent. It's time for us to pay, play 20 questions. So you've got a character for me today? I do. I do. I've got him in my mind. 20 questions, you've got to guess them. That's right. Listeners, you can play along from home. Yes or no answers from me. Will I get it in 20 questions? Let's find out. Question one from me. Pip, is this character... Does this first character first appear in the New Testament? Yes. Okay. Does this character have a personal interaction with Jesus before his resurrection? No. Does this character have a personal interaction with Jesus... After his resurrection, but before his ascension? No. Okay. Does this character show up in the book of Acts? Yes. Okay. Is this character a Christian? Or does this character become a Christian? Um, this person becomes a Christian, yes. Okay. Five questions. Fifteen more. Uh, is this character male? Yes. I feel like you're reading my soul when you did this, by the way. <laughs> Why? I, How? I feel like your your questions always seem to just, like, narrow in so quickly. <laughs> well, we've I had so like... much practice on this now. I know. I know. But I, there's something about the way you ask them, the tone of your voice, everything. I'm like, you can see right through me, can't you? <laughs> I don't know who you have right now. Okay. All right. Six questions. All right. Uh, so, male, Christian, uh, or becomes a Christian, um... Uh, does this character have a book of the Bible named after them? No. Okay. All right, seven questions. Uh, does this character travel around with Paul? No. Okay. Um, do we get a record of this character's death? Of this character's death? Death. No. Okay. Um. Is this character addressed in any of the letters? No. Okay. Um. Does this character travel around with Peter? No. Is this character one of the... Hmm. Do we get... Do, do we hear about this character's wider family? Um, let me just... Uh, no. Okay. Um, do we hear or do we get the record of this character's conversion story? Yes. Is this character a Gentile? Yes. Does this character have a whole chapter devoted to them? <laughs> Essentially. Um, yeah. Um... Oh, actually, I would oh, that's say... that's a bad question. I would say no. I would say no. Okay. Um, does this character... Do we get a record of this character receiving the Holy Spirit? Um, no. Uh, just give me a sec. I think sure. the answer is no. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's no. Okay. 
15 questions. I got five left. I don't think I'll get it, Pip. Oh, I don't know. It's getting, it's getting you're circling, You're circling around it. Circling around it. Okay. Um, does this character... Yeah, does this character do any travel um, to, to share the gospel of Jesus? Um, or do we get the record of this character doing any travel to share the gospel of Jesus? No. Okay. Um, does this character have a vision that we have recorded in the book of Acts? No. Is this character uh, uh, someone who has a, a, a position of power? Yes. 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 A position of power. Oh, man. Two questions left. So I've got one more question and a guess. Okay. I don't think I'll get it. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, position of power. Position of power. Oh, man. Okay. I said, is this character a Gentile? You said yes. This character... Oh man, nah. I, th- I think I've, I don't think I have it. I think I have it. Ask another um, question, and I'll I'll give you one hint. I'll give you one hint after. No, that. no, 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 no. I I gotta lose. If I if I lose, okay, I lose. Okay. Oh man, listeners, this is this is this is tough. You're probably all shouting it at me right now. Um, does this character interact with Paul? No. Is it Cornelius? No. Ah, oh, okay. Who was it? Well, let me give you one hint, right? Um, when you think Gentile, yeah, don't don't think like Greek. Think think about the ethnicity. Oh. Okay. Is this the um? The Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good work. Um, but I, I lost. I lost. Good job. Good job. There, there you go. go. Yeah, yeah, very nice. That was a good one. I should have said, do we know this character's name? Yeah. See, I was waiting for that question as well because yes. that was like, yeah. Yes. Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8. Oh, man. Okay. All good. Good job, yeah. Pip. That was a great one. See, this has been good. I think the, like, that, that was a great one. That was a great one. Yeah, it's like it was. It was pretty niche. It was pretty niche, but within within reach, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, but that's a. It's a good. It's a good story, actually. Um, and also, it like, kind of reminds me of, um, you know, what we were talking about last week in terms of evangelism. Like, be prepared, and uh, it's like, um, you know, knowing your Bible well. This was like a free kick of you know, evangelistic opportunity for Philip. The guy's reading a prophecy about Jesus, and he's basically saying, "Who, who is this person? What mm. a free kick opportunity!" And so, uh, Philip obviously knows his Bible and is able to explain from the scriptures who Jesus is. And so, yeah, being able knowing your Bible well is a is a um, important for evangelism as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I uh, love it. Good job. I went for Cornelius, even though you said no. We don't get the record of the character. Um, yeah. receiving the Holy Spirit. So yeah. that was that was bad of me, but all good. Good fun. Hey, um, I wanted to uh, read out for you a, a tweet thread that I came across the other day, which I shared with I uh, shared with Jack, and Jack liked it. Um, listeners, if you don't know, Jack is one of the other ministers at St. Paul's and uh, by marriage related to Pip. <laughs> He's not married to me. Uh... <laughs> Married to my sister. Yep, that's right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me, let me read this. So uh, this is from a theologian named Fred Sanders. Um, not Colonel Sanders. See, that's what I thought of when he said it. I was thinking, <laughs> this is going to be some <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken wisdom right here. But um, Fred yes, Sanders. that's right. You know, he's um, Kentucky Fried Chicken wisdom, eerily biblical, because you think there were... 11 disciples who stuck around after Judas left. So, there you go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. I'm going to... Anyway. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's good. That's good. Make a joke about that at some point. Mm. Anyway, 
Uh, Fred Sanders, he tweets a lot of uh, witty stuff, but sometimes he, t- mostly, he tweets gold, just absolute gold. So let me read a bit of this. He says, For those of us whose theological home base is Paul, wonder- a pondering first John is wonderful but strange. There's no contradiction between John and Paul, but the voice is astonishingly different. One major difference, one John is not structured by the once lost, now saved schema. Where Paul frequently reminds his readers what they once were, what they left behind, how they've been transformed, what they've now turned to, John doesn't bring it up. In fact, John doesn't provide any terms or structures that even invite reflection on these things. The old versus new structure is replaced, for the most part, by the dynamic of light versus darkness. Uh, This way of thinking takes some time getting used to. Among the benefits and uh, are its immediacy and simplicity. Questions like, if I'm a Christian, why do I sin? Turn into, if I'm in the light, why don't I walk in the light? Now, there's a really great practical application of this in just a sec, but I just found that so interesting to think, mm. yeah, yeah, this schema of once saved, oh, sorry, once lost, now saved, it just it doesn't map on neatly onto onto one John. Have you ever mm. thought about this before or recognised this before? No, I, I haven't, I haven't. I think um, it's... It's always refreshing to read like a John or a, a Peter or a, a Jude. Um, Jude might not seem refreshing to read, but, um, <laughs> you know, when, if, you're, if you're bread and butter at church, and a lot of churches, you know, when they, when they think, okay, what's our New Testament letter that we're going to preach this year, if they maybe preach through one or two a year, um, you know, a Pauline letter is, is almost guaranteed to be in the mix somewhere in the year. And so to have to uh, you know to to force yourself to wrestle with the others is is great and refreshing as well. But that's yeah, great sure. insight from Fred Sanders. Yes. Now here's where he applies it in a, in one way, which I just found so interesting. He says, "Read properly, one John can be a special opportunity for people who became Christians at an early age. If you got saved at eight years old." A testimony of having turned from sin or dead works to being new in Christ is spiritually true, but does not directly map onto your biography. That is, you probably can't read Ephesians 2, when we were dead in trespasses, and directly map it onto your experience at age 7, the way some adult converts can. It takes some fancy footwork to confirm that this death-to-life structure is spiritually true, 1 John doesn't require or invite or maybe even allow that kind of tension. It simply sets you in the presence of God who is light and our propitiation, and then equips you with a series of diagnostic tests. For some readers who have been raised Christian and trained in Paul's categories, the result is shocking. They think John must be preaching perfectionism. They struggle to draw a line of conversion in the book, but nowhere they can draw one that makes much sense. Isn't that fascinating? That is fascinating. That's a great point. That's a great point. I, I do remember reading 1 John and wrestling with the, the notion of perfectionism as a, as a teenager. It, and it's a classic question, and it comes up all the time at youth group and in Bible studies. Um, people, I've had this question more from guys, probably because I've led a group of guys in youth group. But um, That would make yeah, sense. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> that would make sense. But, you know, the question of, so I still sin. I don't want to sin. The Holy Spirit is uh, supposed to enable me not to sin, and yet I still do sin, and that's my fault. But can I still call myself a Christian if I struggle with sin? And do I need to be perfect? And what? Do, and if the answer is, well, are you progressing in your faith? How do you really measure that? Am I really progressing? All those sorts of questions. Great questions. Yeah. But I love the I love that um, language of diagnostic tools. You know. To, yeah. to kind of be able to reflect and say, okay, is this rough? Is this kind of true of my life? And um, mm. does this line yes. up? Yeah. And, I, you know, I had a friend of mine in uni who said when he reads, you know, passages like Ephesians 2, what you preached on a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago now, mm. um, he, he was saying, um, yeah, I just, I, I, fi- I find it hard to resonate with it because there was never a point in my life when I, when I didn't have a sense of God's presence and belief in God, I don't have a, you know, down in the gutter, you know, yeah. throwing up after an alcoholic binge story. Yeah. And then Classic I came to Jesus. Group, um, testimony. <laughs> yeah. Classic youth group. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know when youth groups, I don't know about, you know, youth groups often get in someone who's had this horrible experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, just really thinking about how one John fits, uh, has a different sort of category. You know, mm-hmm. God is light, walk in the light. Uh, this is how you're called to live. It's just, it's, it's different and it gives us a richer picture of the Christian experience and the Christian life. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's really good. Anyway. Yeah, I just thought I'd share that. I thought you'd be interested. And so instead yeah. of sharing it with you during the week, I thought I'd share it with you on the pod. Yeah, nice. No, save it for the pod. Save it for the pod. That's it. That was that was finger looking good. <laughs> um, hey, so you've preached recently, yeah? On last week. How has your preaching been gone recently? Uh, preaching. Well, yes, I, I preached on rest last week. Uh, did, did, a, did a seminar talk thing on it. Yep. Doing one on emotions this Saturday night. Um, and then next week, I'm going to team pair preach with Mike from church awesome. uh, for two weeks on uh, Matthew 14. So looking nice. forward to it. Are they yeah. parable? Is that a parable section? or? Uh, so the parables are in Mark 13, or the ones that you're probably thinking about. Um, Matthew 14, 1 to 12, is the story of John the Baptist's beheading. Oh, right. Um, and then after that is the feeding of the 5,000. Cool. And so I've never done sort of two-person preaching a whole sermon thing before. So I'm looking forward to, to learning how to do it and um, giving it a shot uh, next preaching. Sunday. Yeah. Have you done any of that before? Um, I don't think I've really done... Oh, maybe I have. There were, oh, wait. We... No, you and Self did one last year, didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah. The interview kind of format. That yes. was good. I did enjoy that. I, I, I was reflecting with Self the other day on like preaching. And I think one of the best, like, you know... It's a lot of gut feel, but I feel like one of the best talks I ever gave was it didn't even feel like a talk. It kind of felt more like a seminar or like something like that. Cy Sheed came in. Oh, I shouldn't. I probably shouldn't mention names on podcasts, but I think that, that's okay. He <laughs> wouldn't good. mind. Um, he came in and helped us wrestle with singleness and marriage from um, 1 Corinthians. And so um, that was great. And, and I don't know, there's something about it that kind of takes the the formality strips the formality back a bit, makes it a bit more casual and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good, I think it's a good mode. I wouldn't say for every, for every talk, but there are definitely times and seasons where it's a, it's good to have a a couple more faces, particularly in lockdown. Like when you, you can't see people from church. It's just nice to see a couple more people, um, on the YouTube, if that's what you're doing each week, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, last week, uh, at church we did, um, so Raj was, was preaching on 1 John 4 on love. And then he went to, and so different services had different people just sharing on how to apply the sermon or apply the principles on love. And then Mm -hmm. back to Raj to wrap up. I was reflecting on it, um, at afternoon church, the service I'm at, R1 start to finish was about 28, 29 minutes. It really didn't feel like 28, 29 minutes at all. It yeah, felt so yeah. much shorter because there were different faces, different modes. Um, you know, and one of the other services was 34 minutes. It did not feel like 34 minutes at all. So I think that you're right. Varying it up a bit, different faces, more faces. It it does, um, it, it makes it more digestible. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And almost, you can almost do like a panel uh, at, at St. Paul's, you could almost get like, you know, five, five or six people and actually just sit them all. Obviously, I guess, you know, COVID complicates that, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> that'd be interesting to get a bunch of ministers if they're all working at the same church and just, um, yeah, and there just ask some questions. But anyway, um, I hope I hope that goes well and I hope the preparation for that goes well. And um, yeah, yes. keep, keep it going. Are you preaching on anything anytime soon? Um. Yeah, I, I am actually uh, preaching um, next week, actually, preparing an online talk for Penrith on 1 Samuel 3. So um, the calling of Samuel and God speaking to Samuel. I've been wrestling with that, trying to figure out. Um, I feel like one of the reasons they've asked me to do it, and they asked me quite recently, so I haven't had the lead-up time that I normally have. You know, when you, you know, I've normally had weeks and weeks or months and months to think about something. Um, but one of the things that I struggle with is when you've got a, a chapter of Old Testament, you know, I just kind of want to just explain or like talk about the whole book just generally and just kind of move on. 
Um, I feel like Old Testament narrative is probably my weak point or, you know, weakest point when it comes to preaching um, at the moment. And so I mm. want to kind of get better at that. But it's a very interesting chapter. And I think the, the thing that I will probably talk about, the, the angle is probably, you know, God speaking. Um, God is a God who speaks um, and he's, you know, chooses to speak. And, and it's, ho- it's a horrible thing when God doesn't speak. But mm. when he does speak, it's a wonderful thing. Um, mm. And yeah, yeah. And how does God speak? There's a lot of confusion today about how does God actually speak to us? A lot of people think that um, the pandemic at the moment, God is speaking through the pandemic and telling and judging people for sin and saying, uh, you know, trying to communicate something, something to us through the pandemic. While other people would say, actually, the pandemic is proof that God is not there and yeah, absent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, how, if God is there, how does he speak? And obviously mm. the, the, the answer is ultimately through Jesus. And so that's, yes. I think that's where it lands with, um, he speaks to us in word, become flesh, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Nice. Hey, this is totally not a serious thought at all, mm. but you know how you've got the, um, you know, the pizza delivery we talked about, you know, if it, if it doesn't come in this amount of time, your money back, you should do that for sermons. I'm not being serious, but think about it for sermons for a second. If you go over this time... <laughs> if you go over this time, you never have to come to church again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> See, this is why... Um, uh, th- they don't put us in charge of, of yeah, certain no, things. Right. I'm a big fan. I think we've talked about this. Getting a worm... Getting people to uh, to kind of tell, give some indication of how they're feeling, or a gong, introduce a gong to church, and so if it's droning on and on, you get enough people to vote, like you know, kick him from the pulpit, and someone stands in the corner and rings a gong, um, yeah, or 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 like a golden uh, the voice sort of scenario, so everyone starts with their back to the preacher. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. And only only when they really start to dig the sermon do they hit the button and t- turn around. <laughs> You've got Delta, Goodrum, who's decided to dance along yeah. with the sermon. Yeah. And you got that one person who's just like, no, no, sorry, I can't press the button on this one. Not going to do it. <laughs> that's it. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for another week of The Bible mm. Boys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please feel free to share us with your friends and family. And uh, we would love more people to experience the might, the wonder, the magic, the edifying encouragement, and the fun, light banter of the Bible Boys. Pip, sign us out. Everyone, have a good week and we'll see you next time.